All right, kids, come on up front. Come on up, guys. If you're visiting, feel free to come on up and join us. You can bring a mom or dad along or grandma, grandpa, or somebody along with you if you'd like. Come on up, find somewhere to sit. Good to see everyone here this morning. So important for us to be here and worship God together. All right. Okay. I want to know who here can snap their fingers. Okay, let me hear you. Can you snap your fingers? Some people can't. That's okay. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. How long does that snap take? How much time? One millisecond, maybe? Certainly way less than a second. It's really fast, isn't it? Or extremely small amount of time, right? Like less than a second even, right? Just that quick. Okay? Now, the Bible tells us of, tells us of something that will happen that fast. It says that it will happen, this event will happen in a twinkling of an eye, like just a little flash of light off your eye. It's going to happen that fast. Now, wouldn't it be great if you could change things that fast? Like if uh, mom tells you to clean your room and you just go like this and it's done. Wouldn't that be great? Or dad says, don't forget to go finish your homework and you go, done. Wouldn't that be great? That would be pretty cool. I don't know. I think it'd be pretty neat. I wish I could do stuff that like that. It doesn't work though, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, the, this change that the Bible talks about happening that fast is so important, though, that it's an encouragement for you to work hard at things like cleaning your room and to work hard at things like doing your homework and to work hard at all those good works that God has given you to do. So do you know what the Bible tells us will be changed that fast? The Bible tells us that our bodies will be changed. Our bodies will be changed just that fast. And it won't even matter if you are still alive or, you know, you have some people maybe that you care about who have died. If your body has died, it won't even matter. If, yeah, you know some people, right? So when it comes time, when that time comes, when God has that time, your body will be changed just that fast. Now, our bodies right now aren't perfect, are they? Our bodies get sick. They get hurt. We have pain sometimes. And then even at some point, our bodies will die, right? But, yeah, we get sick, all kinds of things. But in that moment, in that moment, your body will be changed into a perfect, everlasting, eternal body. Our bodies will no longer get sick They'll no longer hurt, will no longer have pain, and they will no longer die. They'll be perfect, indestructible bodies. Yeah, sometimes you get a stomach ache, right? Yeah, that happens. What else is really fast? Yeah, when you die, you go straight to be with Jesus, right? That's pretty neat. But these bodies will be then buried in the ground after we die, but then this fast They'll be changed and raised to life. Okay, now, one more thing. Do you know how all this is possible? This is all possible because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus' body has already been made perfect. He was the first one. And because he was the first one, 
it will happen for all those who have faith in Christ as well. So when that time comes, our bodies will be made perfect just like Jesus' perfect body. And sin and death will no longer have any effect on us. It'll be such a wonderful time. What a wonderful moment that will be, right? We'll be changed forever. Great. Thanks for coming up. Pastor Jeremy's going to come up and continue preaching. All right. Be praying for your parents. They seem a little chatty this morning. It is a good work that you do with your children in here, and I know it's a cost, so keep up that good work. I meant in the beginning to just give you an update on our search for calling an associate pastor of music or worship. Uh, We've been meeting with a candidate, and if you remember, there's four stages, we're calling them. The initial stage was just a review to see how an applicant fits our job description in our church. So Pastor Jeff and I did that. This candidate has moved past that. The second stage is kind of the, the main interviewing stage before we'd present them to you, and that's what we call the elder stage. The elders have met with this candidate two times for some very lengthy interviews. We've called, I think, nine different references, and uh, we've decided to continue to move forward with this candidate. The next stage is what we're calling the music stage. He'll be meeting first with kind of our main music leaders. Has that been set? Is that coming up? June 8th. And then we'll have a time after that or maybe before that. June 10th with the entire music ministry team. And if that all goes well, then the elders, I think at that second meeting in June, will have a further discussion and then maybe letting you know. So be praying. We're moving along. If things continue to move, and this is God's will, and the candidate and us think that this is where we should go, we'll probably be having a congregational meeting maybe later in June or early in July presenting the candidate to you and informing you of what the candidating last stage will be like. You have several opportunities to hear from him, maybe preaching, song leading. You have opportunities to interview and meet and so on. And so we're moving right along with that. Thank you for praying. Please keep praying. We want the Lord's will to be done in this. All right, we are in uh, 1 Corinthians. We are getting to the end here. It's been three years we've been in this book, on and off. We are at the end of chapter 15. My plan is to just preach 16, the chapter 16 in its entirety next week, and we'll conclude with 1 Corinthians. Um, one of the things I want to remind you of again is that the reason I picked this letter isn't mainly for the theology or the different truths that the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is teaching, but to show you his example of pastoring, that we might see how Paul pastors a church, especially a church that is in some pretty significant sin and error. That was Paul's church that he planted. (laughs) And to show what actually biblical shepherding should look like. Because this is one thing that pastors in our culture, churches in our culture, really have no longer any desire for. So that's what we've been doing. In this chapter, Paul is correcting them regarding an error they have of denying bodily resurrection from the dead. 
They seem to somehow, as we said, want to say that Jesus rose, but that there is no bodily resurrection. Either that they missed the resurrection, it's already recurred, or that there just isn't bodily resurrection. And Paul, in the first 11 verses, reminds them that Christ, as was said in Scripture, died in our place for our sins, that he was buried that he rose from the dead, that he appeared to the apostles, that he appeared to more than 500, that he appeared to Paul himself. So Christ rose from the dead bodily. And then he begins in verse 12, how can you then say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Christ rose. We saw him. We touched him. We ate with him. We heard him. How can you say there's no resurrection from the dead? And then he says, If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, this gospel is nothing. You're still in your sins. We're misrepresenting God. Then there's this big turn in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. But... He's just the first fruit of many to come. That is, all who are in Christ died with him in his death, raised with him in his life, and will be one day raised bodily as was Christ. And so then in verses 35 to 58, Paul is teaching what our resurrected bodies will be like. Now, what he does at the end in verse 58 may be surprising. He goes into all of this teaching. We saw him bodily raised. There is bodily resurrection. Here's what the bodily resurrection will be like. And the therefore, the grand finale is get to work. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What? Where'd that come from? Resurrection, 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 get to work is the application. This won't be strange. You may not think it's strange. I thought it was curious. But this is the Bible in sum. Why did God create us? Exercise dominion. To work. Why does God recreating us? To take dominion, to get to work. This really isn't surprising at all how Paul concludes this chapter. So that's what I want to do. Let's look a bit more in verses 58 to 57 at what our resurrected bodies will be like, and then let's apply it to work. My prayer is that as you see the truth of the resurrection of the dead, that it might be mo- that it that it would motivate you to be steadfast and movable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me read these verses, pray, and then get into it. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, we want your blessing, and we know that your blessing is on those who walk in your law. And so teach us now by the power of the Holy Spirit to not only hear your word, but to keep it and to seek it with our whole heart. So give us diligence now, O God, diligence in listening and diligence in doing to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we will get new bodies. Why will we get new bodies? Verse 50, because these bodies cannot inherit what's to come. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the, er, inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. So again, as we've been saying, let me remind you again, that our resurrected bodies will be these bodies. Look at verse 53. This perishable body, this body, must put on something far greater. Right? It's this body, but putting on something far greater. You might remember in verses 35 to 49 that Paul uses several analogies from nature to show this idea. These bodies are like seeds that must be planted and die. And yet like seeds, they become what they are just much greater. So acorns. There's a glory in an acorn, isn't there? It contains what could become a mighty oak. And so the acorn and the oak are related. It's the same. There's continuity. But one is far greater glory than the other. That's the same with our bodies. These bodies are like the acorns. They're glorious unto themselves. They're bearing the image of God. We're capable of great good with these bodies. And yet they're perishable. They're mortal. They're prone to sin and death and temptation. And yet when these bodies die, they're planted like the acorn. And what comes is far greater. This body, immortal. This body, imperishable. This body with great power, verse 43. Natural to the spirit, spiritual verse 44. We are now... Mart an image of the man of the dust, Adam, 
we will then become image of the man of heaven, Christ, mortal till immortality. This is, by the way, brothers and sisters, why mankind is far greater than all the rest of creation. We are the pinnacle of it. God has given to us what he hasn't given to any other part of creation. And this is the foundation for all love in the world. Because we are created in God's image and are immortal. (laughs) What we do in these bodies and for each other goes on forever. This is why it is abhorrent to abort babies before they're born. This is why a man sexually abusing a woman is abhorrent. This is the doctrine of doing all good to each other in this world. So, we will continue on in these bodies, but these bodies will put on far greater glory. Again, in verse 53, perishable becomes imperishable, mortal becomes immortal, which means that these bodies will no longer die. Isn't that wonderful? No longer prone to sickness and suffering. What do we do with that? Well, first, let me just really quick deal with verses 51 and 52. He anticipates. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Paul is a good pastor. He anticipates the questions of his people, and one of the questions will be, okay, if we get new bodies after we die, what about those who don't die before the Lord returns? What about those still living when the Lord returns? And Paul says, oh, it'll happen to them too. Don't fret. In fact, Paul says uh, earlier, or I mean in Second Corinthians chapter 4, 5, I'm sorry, I should have looked it up. That, that that would be ideal. That would be the best. It's really good to die and go to be the Lord, separated body and spirit. That's good. But what would be far better is to be alive at the Lord's coming and, and just go right into our glorious new resurrected bodies. That'd be, if we could have it all, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come now. All right. Wouldn't that be good? Okay, so that's verse 51. Then verse 52, Pastor Jeff covered it in the children's message, which is real quick. It'll happen like that. Right? A little twinkle. Not even a blink, just the twinkle in the eye. It's there and gone. In a moment, you will be made glorious. Like, it's not a manufacturing process. You don't go on an assembly line and get this part added there and then that part added there. It's not like building the bionic man or woman. It's new, glorious, resurrected body. At the instant that God decides at Christ's coming, you are made new. Reunited soul and body in imperishable, immortal glory forever and ever with the Lord. Amen. What for? What's this doctrine for? We must consistently remember, brothers and sisters, that learning theology is good, but learning theology separated from application is bad. Do not be hearers of the word and not doers. 
Faith without works is dead. So how do we apply this glorious teaching of getting immortal, imperishable, glorious bodies at the coming of Christ? You don't have to guess. Verse 58 does it. Knowing for my beloved brothers, be steadfast and move, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I would encourage you to memorize that verse. Can you take that as an application from this sermon? Please memorize this verse. It gets to the heart of why you and I were made. It gets to why there is so much despair, so much anxiety in our culture. Paul concludes this letter, which as you know is a lengthy letter. I don't remember what number of sermon this is going through this letter, but it ain't 50. <laughs> he concludes this lengthy letter, as you all include any letter, with what's most important at the end. You either write what's most important in the middle and then come back to it at the end by way of the reminder, or you save it to the end and put it there so that the last thing they leave with is what you want them to get if they get anything. This is the most important part of this letter. Christ died and rose, and you died with him, and you will be raised like him. Okay? And then the conclusion to this most important part of the letter is get to work. The application to this most important doctrine is get to work. Get off your duff. Get off the bench. Get in the game. You're not sidelined. He's got a part for you. He's got a role for you. Do it. No excuses. No complaints. No thinking somebody else is better than you at doing it. None of it. You'll be raised. Get to work. Of course, if you are thinking biblically, you should be going back to Genesis 1 and 2 right now. Because the whole Bible is this in sum. God creates something for a purpose, and then that created thing is supposed to fulfill its purpose in working. That's it. God made all things, and all things he made are good, including physical creation. We as mankind are the most important part, highest of all creation. We are alone created his image. He gave us bodies, physically, breathe life into it. Our bodies matter to God. Your body matters to the Lord. And what is your body for? Why these? Right? Why this? Why do hearts pump and mouths take in oxygen that somehow the lungs magically convert that oxygen in the bloodstream that power your cells? Why this? So you can grab stuff and manipulate stuff and build stuff. You were made to make things. You were made to work. So God created Adam. Wasn't good that he was alone. He prayed at all the other creatures in front of him and Adam 
at the end, prayed in what I would assume is an exhausting exercise, having all the animals and all creation prayed in front of him, male and female, he got the hint, I lack something. And so God did what God always does. We heard this last weekend. He, in essence, killed Adam, <clears throat> took out a part, created what he was lacking, a woman fit for him. And the man in the wood, Adam and Eve, he united in marriage to be fruitful, multiply, to exercise dominion, to get to work. That's what they were for. They were lords over creation. They were given bodies and souls for the purpose of continuing the good work in creation that God had done. Again, from last weekend, we heard this. He put them in a garden, and their job was to make the whole world in Eden. Through work, with their hands, with their minds, with their bodies, they were to use their bodies for this work. <clears throat> then we sinned, right? Then Adam sinned. Our bodies became weak, mortal, I don't think we understand what we lost in glory in that moment. I don't think we understand what we were and, and how degraded sin has caused our physical bodies. We're still to work, but now our work is often futile. It was always going to be hard work, but not this kind of work that is messed with by sin that you build something wonderful that you think will be a blessing only to see it burned up. Or you join in a business partnership with somebody and figure out they're shady and they steal. And are you as a parent work to give your child a future and give them a great inheritance only to see them turn from the Lord and waste it all? All that kind of futility. We're opposed. Sin often robs the fruits of our labor. We see this happening in Corinth. Their sin was robbing the fruitfulness and vitality and glory of their church. But Christ came to redeem us from that. Christ is the second and far greater Adam. He's making a new humanity in Adam. From the world, in the church, just like in Genesis 1 and 2, separating us from the world in order that we might continue to fulfill this mandate given to Adam and Eve, continue in the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, that's what he's doing here. So, the entire Bible is resurrection to work. Giving life so that we can work. <clears throat> this includes the resurrection of our bodies. We aren't matter to be disposed of. He'll redeem, even recreate our flesh. Will be raised bodily. So Christ came to redeem us, to remake us, soul and body, all of us. And this means getting to work. Let me answer a quick question in verse 58. He repeats it twice, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. <clears throat> what does it mean, work of the Lord? What, what kind of work is he intending here? <clears throat> well, there could be a couple errors that Paul's trying to anticipate here. One is what we'll call the Catholic error. That the only real work, the only work that counts in the Lord is 
pastoral work. And maybe if you become a Sunday school teacher, that will qualify. But any of the work you do outside of ministry isn't work in the Lord. That's just secular. That's not important. <clears throat> the Bible does not make a distinction between ministry and a job, between ministry and marriage, ministry and parenting, ministry and hospitality. All vocations are work of the Lord except those that are forbidden by the Lord. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> your work, whatever God has given you, whatever you put your heart and soul and body to, significant, little, big, less significant, more significant, is included in this. The second error would be that you understand that all work that you do is for the Lord, but it just doesn't seem fruitful. It doesn't seem to have any good results. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I have a hard marriage. I'm investing in it. It just doesn't seem to be getting any better. I've been parenting my child. They're rebellious. They're very difficult. I just can't get him under control at the grocery store. I just can't get her to stop saying those mean things. I, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. It just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. I have a very difficult boss at work. I've been reading and studying and trying to get wisdom on how to make that relationship better, but it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. <clears throat> so the temptation, the error is, this is just in vain. I'm done. I don't want to fight for my marriage anymore. I don't want to fight my kid anymore. I don't want to try to work hard for this boss anymore. I, I want to. It just, ugh, I'm done. <clears throat> this is the main way that I believe this teaching on the resurrection is to motivate us to get to work. Think of Christ. By any standard of human evaluation, his ministry on earth was an utter failure. Completely in vain. The beginning of it, his crowds were huge and excited. By the end of it, even his closest followers had abandoned him. His ministry shrank as he went along. He, yeah, thanks. That'd be great. Water. <clears throat> he, uh, thank you, Terry. He, uh, he ended up naked, hanging on a cross. If anybody had a right to look on his ministry and go, I'm done. It's Christ. It's vain. Was it? Might have seemed so until three days later he walked out of the grave. His followers that were cowering are now out proclaiming the gospel with unthinkable boldness. But they look the leading authorities in the eyes and say, you might tell us to stop preaching Christ but you tell me what's better to obey you or obey God, we're not stopping. And 2,000 years later, Christianity has spread to every nook and cranny of the globe pretty much. Is his ministry in vain? No. Why? Because God raises the dead. 
Because God resurrects that which we see is small and insignificant and futile. We often do not reap the rewards of our work until the day of the Lord's coming. You guys get this. It's planting season. You don't plant and sit there minute by minute looking at it, waiting for it to grow. And after a week you go, <laughs> all of this tilling, all of this weed pulling, all of this fertilizing. This is stupid. I'm done. Kids, don't say stupid. That's a bad word. <clears throat> no, why? Because that kind of work takes patience. It takes endurance. Be work that the Lord has given you is not vain if it's in the Lord. It will be raised. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about your family work. I wanted to emphasize that one. Consider the calling of an elder. Is eldering a good work? Absolutely. It's a, it's a really high calling. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, if a man aspires to it, he aspires to a really good thing. But you know the one, one of the one things that will disqualify a man from that work? If he has not taken care of his wife and children. He could be the best elder in the church possible. He could be an incredible preacher. He could have crowds of tens of thousands. And if he isn't shepherding his wife and children well, that work in his ministry is in vain. And so, brothers, you might be a rock star at your Monday to Friday job. And if you are not loving your wife and children, leading your home well, you're not, you're failing. Attend to your wife. Wives, attend to your duties of serving your husband. Parents, attend to your children. That's your first work. Another good work that may seem futile and not immediately rewarding is hospitality. This is a very important ministry in the life of the church. It's a very important good work. Now, you introverts have had 18 months of nirvana. COVID was for you manna from heaven. Like we just entered bliss. I am told to stay at home. <laughs> no more. Invite people over. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be pretty. The house doesn't have to be perfect. Make frozen pizza. Just open yourself up to others. This is a good work, brothers and sisters. Whatever vocational God, calling God has given you, work at it with all your heart. Make money. Make lots of it. Use it to bless your children. Use it to bless others. It's the work of the Lord. It's the God who has given you the work. It's God who gives you the strength and the wisdom for it. It's all with It's God who makes it fruitful. It's God who will reward it. It's whatever you're doing with prayer, with the intent to bring glory, do it. Steadfast and movable, abound in it. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. One of the songs we sang last weekend at the men's conference that I plan to sing next weekend in conclusion of this book is Come, Men of, Str men of Christ, Be Strong. It's to the tune of Crown Him with Many Crowns. The fourth stanza reads this. Sing, men of Christ, sing loud. Our banner is the Lord. First in, last out, laughing loud, we work for our 
reward. Why? One day we'll hear, well done, and all our striving cease. But will our li- when our lifelong race is won, we'll fat, fight and laugh and feast. First in, last out, laughing loud, we work for our reward. That's what we're doing now. It's not in vain. It is not in vain. Let me conclude by speaking to those of you who have been doing the hard work of helping loved ones die. We have several of those in our congregation right now who either just finished that good work or about to are in the middle of it. That is a work that our world thinks very little of. It really does. It's a work that many hand off to other people because we just don't want to be around death. It is hard work. It is really awful, messy death. Don't sentimentalize it. It is brutal. And we are meant to help those we love die well. It's good work. It is very good work. It's good work because especially when we're doing it for a brother or sister, we're helping them to the Lord. All the way. We again heard last weekend we're to love people to heaven. All the way. All the way. Cradle the grave. And so for those of you with aged parents or maybe with children who are terminally ill or maybe it's another loved one in the church, this is a very good work. And here's your comfort. In the resurrection, when Christ makes all things new, he will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will raise the dead to glory. All of your sufferings in the present age will seem as nothing when the glory that is coming is revealed. And so do that good work. And do it taunting death. I love verses 55 and 56. He's talking smack to death. (laughs) We can because of Christ. Let's pray. I praise you for the glories of what is to come. And teach us now in light of that day when all good work will be rewarded, when all the fruitfulness will be realized, that we would do work now, that you would give us grace to be steadfast, enduring, immovable, abounding in this work. Whatever it is, God, may we work at it as if working for you. Any who would dissuade us, whether it be our flesh, the world, others, or the devil, may you keep us from that so that we might persevere in it. So give us strength. It's all done for your glory. It's all of your grace. And so God help us in this work. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a few charges for you. Today is a day of rest. The following six are days of work. Right? Each day we work from when we wake until we go to sleep, until we earn a rest. And so work hard beginning tomorrow. Rest and enjoy each other, well, beginning Tuesday. 
You get an extended Sabbath, I guess. Happy Memorial Day, by the way. Um, so work hard. That's one. Two, memorize 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. That's the second charge. And then third, what is the one work that you just need to endure in? What's that one work that God has given you that you need to stick to by the grace of God and keep going? Don't settle. Don't coast. Don't avoid that work by adding a whole bunch of new things. Right? We can sometimes add new work because we want to avoid the continuing work that we're just not wanting to do anymore. So what is that one thing? Commit it to the Lord. Ask for his grace and get to it. May God grant you strength in your body and spirit to live the coming week in thanksgiving to God who has given you the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ such that he has provided all you need to be steadfast and immovable. May God cause you to abound in his work knowing that by faith in the living Christ who raises the dead that in him your labor is never in vain. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.